0: Questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick, and this is the podcast that helps you close the gap between what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Rabbi Evan Moffick, who is the author of four books and a graduate of Stanford University and Hebrew Union College where he was ordained in 2006. Rabbi Moffat joined Congregation Solel outside of Chicago in July 2009 at the age of 31 and was the youngest rabbi of a Reform congregation in a major American city. Evan uses his experience as a rabbi, working with people of all ages and outside of religious contexts, who experience the highs and the lows of life, and he combines cutting-edge research and positive psychology and neuroscience to explore the practices that help us feel a greater sense of satisfaction, meaning, and purpose in life. He is passionate about creating dialogue between different denominations and faiths, And as you will hear in this conversation, he is a thoughtful, thoughtful man, relentlessly optimistic, and just a delightful conversationalist. In this part two conversation, we dig deeper into the happiness prayer, and hopefully you will be able to benefit from some of his thoughts. Coming up in January of 2019, Evan Mofik will release his fourth book, which is already critically acclaimed, First the Jews, combating the World's Longest-Running Hate Campaign, which is a historical and cultural look at anti-Semitism, specifically post-9-11. So with no further ado, let's jump in to part two of my conversation with Rabbi Evan Moffick. You said in this chapter um, a line that I really thought was interesting, and that is that when we when we can honor our parents for who they are, uh, yeah. that we can actually begin to accept ourselves. And I, I see so much happening, and you probably see this in your congregation where people not accepting themselves, being harsh on themselves, judging themselves without mercy—you know, the shooting on yourself. Uh, That self-acceptance is a big thing, but one wouldn't think that you arrive at that through actually honoring the one that gave you life.
1: Yeah, that is hard because sometimes we inherit. I'll give you an example. So my wife, my wife drives me crazy sometimes because she is always early for everything. I mean, we get to the airport three hours before the flight leaves. And that's the only way she's comfortable, and it drives me crazy. And if, if I have to go pick up the kids, let's say I have to pick them up at 7:30, she's calling me at 7 and being like, "Are you there yet?" And so I'm like, "No, I mean, I haven't even left
0: yet." <laughs> so,
1: it, 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 but part of the reason she does that is her mom, who was a, an attorney and, and a very busy, uh, was always late to things. And, and so she kind of overcompensated and to me in a way she kind of, but she and her mom have the close, have an extraordinarily close relationship. But I think understanding where her mom was coming from helped her understand what was important to her and this is who she is. So in some ways, when we accept our parents, we can give ourselves a little greater flexibility. We, we, we just accept them for who they are and we, we accept ourselves for who we are. You know, she's a, she knows, she knows that she's being irrational by being early for everything. She knows that. And I know that, but I think part of the reason she can know that and laugh at it is because she has accepted her mom for who she is. And so I think when we, in a sense, stop judging our parents, that might be a way to, to, to begin to stop judging ourselves. Um, because I think we, are connected to our parents in, in a lot of unconscious ways. And, um, and that's, it's not easy. It's not easy because sometimes if we don't like parts of ourselves, we're going to find parts of our parents not to like either. So in a way, in some ways it's, it's almost like a little hack that if you can forgive your parents and it may make it easier to forgive yourself.
0: You know, that's fascinating that you said that because I think that, um, so many of these of the ten elements of the prayer are woven together and I know yeah. that forgiveness is not a specific one, but you do unpack that a little bit. you also mentioned and the uh, the wise listener will will probably determine that uh, this idea of honoring your father and mother and the happiness prayer is also the only one of the ten commandments that's woven into this in that yes. in that direct sense and that that commandment says, that if you do this, it will go well with you, that there's a fruit to it, there's a blessing.
1: That's right. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that has a reward attached to it, right? You shall, yeah, it will go well with you. You will dwell on the land that the Lord your God has given you. You know, that's in Exodus. And in all the other commandments, it just says, do this, do this, do this. But honoring father and mother, there's actually a reward attached, uh, and which is remarkable. Uh, and I do think there is a There is a kind of cosmic reward uh, when we honor our father and mother. Um, Of course, that's not the reason we should do it. But, you know, I've conducted probably 500 funerals, give or take. And I do, I see situations in which there's no peace between parents and children. And I've seen situations where there's a sense of peace and they've accepted each other. They may not be best friends, but there is a sense of just greater happiness when you can reach some kind of reconciliation and acceptance kind of like jacob and esau in the bible i mean they're brothers not parents but they don't speak for 20 years then they encounter one another again and they accept each other they again they go their separate ways they're not best friends but they reconcile and i think that is a that's a gift if we can achieve that in our lives
0: Yeah, and that was a a major reconciliation, even by today's standards, of stealing a birthright and deceiving and lying to your dad. And, um, you know, I'm just struck again as we're talking about these, that these are not pithy little individual optimistic thoughts that if you do these, then God's going to somehow bless you or reward you. But rather, these are things that represent a life well lived, and these are things that if you do these the consequences are going to generate goodness and happiness.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's not happiness that that's one of the major differences between happiness and pleasure. Pleasure, nothing wrong with pleasure. Getting a massage, having a great meal. We can all think about certain things that that are pleasurable and that's wonderful, that's important. But that's not happiness. Happiness is a long-lasting satisfaction. It's a sense of looking back on our life and knowing that it's been well-lived. And that kind of happiness often involves struggle and suffering. That's part of the journey. And so sometimes we may not see the immediate fruits of our efforts. Sometimes when, when we seek reconciliation, we may be rebuffed. It may make things worse temporarily. But... These are long-term goals, and that's why, that, that's why this prayer still has power. That's why for 2000, for 2,000 years we've been saying it because there's some time-tested wisdom in here. I mean that's one of the reasons I think our religious traditions last is because they really do contain wisdom that affirms life. And, and that's why to me that this prayer is so powerful because it's been road-tested for a good 2,000 years.
0: So the next so, one in the prayer is this idea of kindness. And one might say, well, you know, everybody knows why you should be kind. But it strikes me that one of the things we most desperately need in our world today is kindness. Oh, so talk about and unpack that one.
1: That's my favorite chapter. You know, that, that's the one I'm always working on. Um, because, yes, we know we should be kinder and we teach our children manners and hopefully we teach them to be kind but we just look at the world around us look at politics look at the way people treat each other and we know that they're that we're lacking in a lot of kind we're lacking in kindness and I think there are a couple reasons for this kindness is sometimes harder than we think uh we live in a competitive society we are always trying to win at something and when we're kind we can see that as as being too soft that if we're kind we're going to be taken advantage of people then back off and they're not kind kindness puts us in a vulnerable position because we can be rejected for example when my daughter started in school this maybe two three years ago but this story stuck out at me she was out on the playground and she went up to to some other girl and said you know uh can we be friends and the other girl was like no I don't really want to be friends and I was like i heard this story and i was like heartbroken because now not only i mean all kids go through difficult experiences but i was thinking to myself now my daughter is so much less likely to ever go up and try to be friends with somebody again because of this negative experience no one wants to be rejected no one wants to go up to someone and try to be friends and then that person to say no and now she had this experience so i imagine she will hesitate seriously before going up to another kid and and trying to be friends. Uh, And so kindness exposes us to rejection and vulnerability. So we're less likely to do it. And so for that reason, we are not nearly as kind as we could be. We could be, I mean, just think of the opportunities we have for kindness that we simply don't do out of complacency, out of a fear of putting ourselves out there. But the problem is, or the truth is, is that kindness makes us happier. Study after study after study. Says that if you want something that gives you both a short-term boost in happiness and long-lasting boost in happiness, do something kind for another person. It sounds like cliché-ish wisdom, but it's true. And, and 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 Martin Seligman has several studies proving that. So, to me, it's it's something I'm always trying to do more of.
0: So you unpack in this chapter some of the Hebrew uh, derivatives of the word kindness, and I'm particularly as a Christian drawn to this idea of Rahamin, that is often translated as mercy, and mercy and kindness go together, but I've heard this, what I now think is a heretical or inaccurate teaching from Christians, that grace is something given that you don't deserve, and that mercy is something that's withheld, that you do deserve. And that, that may be true in a courtroom, but this idea of Rahamin, or mercy, is more of a womb, this... This uh, container that holds you and nourishes you and nurtures you and not just a taking away of a spanking.
1: That's right. I mean, that's exactly right. The word rachamim comes from the Hebrew word, the root rechem, which means womb, literally womb, a mother's womb. And so it is. It's, it's, it's a sense of, of nurturing, of love, uh, of, of – of, in a way, I think grace is a pretty close translation of it. You know, there, there's a Jewish teaching that says, you know, the, essentially, if you read the Bible carefully, there are two creation stories. There's the creation story where human beings are created on the sixth day, Genesis 1, and there's the creation story where human beings are created on the first day. And, and the different names of God are used in each one is yod Hey vav Hey, Yahweh, and the other is Elohim. And the ancient rabbis said One version of creation story is the aspect of God's justice, that that's the God that says, you have to do this. If you don't do this, you're going to be punished. And then the second creation story is God's mercy. That that name of God symbolizes God's mercy, God's forgiveness. And if we didn't, if we only had God's justice, then the world would be such a cynical place, right? I mean, can you imagine if, you know, your wife or friend held... Every single husband or, you know, held every single thing you ever did wrong was held against you forever. So if we live in in a world of strict justice, it would be miserable. But if we lived in a world only of mercy, then we'd have no order. Then there would be no laws. So God had to create the world with both justice and mercy. Those, Those are part of, those are built into creation. So we need that. And so I actually think grace is probably a closer translation.
0: Yeah, and you actually say that uh, the idea of mercy has its origins in the mother-child, the mother-infant bond. Uh, say more about that.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think just in the in the word itself, rechem, uh, a womb, and that there's a—I mean, I think, you, you know, you're a psychotherapist. My dad's a psychiatrist. There's a lot of our way of looking at the world that comes from childhood, and there's no closer bond— than the mother-child bond early in life, and so I think a lot of our ways of looking at the world come from that experience. And so, a notion of unconditional love, of mercy and forgiveness—you know—we, we, you know, little children do awful things sometimes, um, but we forgive them. We, 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 because we love them and we understand that that's part of the process of life. So I think this idea of mercy and grace is is understanding that we will make serious mistakes in life and um we need we, we need forgiveness and we need to forgive others now forgiveness especially when you're adults when you're responsible for your actions there has to be some sort of reconciliation there has to be remorse and so forth but the the idea of of, of grace and, and of forgiveness is, is something that's built into the order of creation and, and something that we should embrace now i'm using the word should but uh, i'm using that in the sense of it will make us happier in the long
0: run. Right, right.
1: Kindness makes us happier in the long run, That's and, and so does forgiveness. Uh, so yes, as you said earlier, these chapters are certainly connected.
0: Well, it's interesting, uh, St. Paul in the letter to the Romans says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not the fear of wrath or escaping doom or the flames of hell, uh, that there's actually something about kindness that's compelling, that makes us want to then be kind
1: yeah i think i think so i mean i think that's that's in and out. hopefully that's what leads yes to the, the the kindness you know I, I sometimes it is fear uh you know but hopefully we know that we are accepted as we are and that that kindness invites us back in you know that that kindness leads us towards god and towards others
0: yeah yeah the, the key word there though is hopefully right <laughs> as is always the case. So your next chapter was keep learning and this is one that somebody could easily divide into sacred and uh, secular. but you see and Jews in general see learning as you know one of the highest forms of worship.
1: Oh yeah, L- lifelong learning is essential to to growing as a person. I mean God built us to grow. We're not static. we're always changing. I like to say we can't step in the same river once, right? because it's already changed as we step in. So we're always changing and growing. and learning helps us grow in every way. it helps us grow closer to God. it helps us understand God's word better and it ultimately helps us understand other people. I mean one of the ways that we that we learn is just by reading, by traveling, by talking with with people who are different from us. And that opens us up to, to different parts of the human experience. And I think it makes us happier. Not only, I think the reason it makes us happier is we're using more parts of our brain. We're using more parts of ourselves. And we're ultimately deepening relationships. I mean, in any serious, in a marriage, in a friendship, you learn more about other people as you grow together and as you, learn more about the other person you feel closer to them sometimes it can draw people apart too that's but that's that's uh i'm i'm talking about learning in the context of commitment right that we when we are committed to another person or committed to faith committed to god the more we learn the deeper that relationship becomes and that's been a part of judaism for a long time
0: so it's much more than just keep your head in a book
1: oh yeah I mean, I, I sometimes think education is wasted on the young. Sometimes. Now, that's kind of cynical, but I do. I think we don't really appreciate the power. You know, when when we think about school, think about, oh, filling out forms and taking tests, and, okay, you gotta, you gotta learn when you're young, and sometimes you need to push kids to. But, man, to have the opportunity to learn all day, that's, that, I love that. And so I think that if we can carve out time to continue to learn and grow, we're happier human beings.
0: Yeah, man, I've, I've so many times thought if I could go back and do school again, um, how I would do it differently. But uh, it's now that I have to press into that. I don't want to just go through these one by one. But this last one, I want to ask you to comment on. And then I want to just kind of let you, whichever ones you're passionate about or feel like you want to comment on. But in the prayer, it uh, is to welcome the stranger and you paraphrase that as inviting others into your life. And I just thought that was beautiful how you said that.
1: Yeah, that that to me is a hard one sometimes for me personally because I'm so, again, to go back to my Enneagram, I'm a three, I'm driven, I'm always trying to, to do more. And I think I sometimes um, am focused more on the task than on the person. But I think when we can experience life with other people, it makes life better. It's deeper. Just traveling with another person. I mean, I, I've traveled by myself and I've traveled with others. And traveling with others is always better. And um not that there's sometimes when it's nice to travel alone. I'm not saying it's it, but there when we experience life with other people, we see parts of of, of an experience. We notice things we wouldn't have noticed before we are, there was a great Jewish sage named Maimonides. And he said, human beings are social animals. Some, now some of us are extroverted, some are introverted, but we all need connections with other people. That's what we're built for. And so I think inviting others into our life um, gives us a path of doing that. It gives us concrete ways of doing that. And, and um, that's sort of built into Judaism. We're supposed to There are certain Jewish prayers you can only say when 10 people are present. And so community is almost a requirement. Wow. So I think that that just reminds us that that we need other people in order to truly thrive.
0: So which of the others? I want to end with forgiveness. uh, But which of the others do you just enjoy talking about or are favorites of yours within the prayer?
1: Well, I think one of them, especially as a rabbi, is is uh, consoling the bereaved. That sometimes, when a loved when, when a loved one dies, or, or when when let's say let's say a, a parent of a friend of ours dies, uh, or or the spouse of someone we know dies, we can sometimes feel a little bit awkward. That that they're in pain, and we just kind of want to say, oh, you know, we don't we don't really know what to do. But the truth is just showing up for another person, the, in a way, I call, people call it the ministry of presence. Just going there and sitting with somebody who's lost somebody, it, 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 it's so powerful. I mean, I just I just conducted a funeral yesterday and I'm going over to the house tonight uh, to, to be with the family. And they'll have lots of other people we are just there. And that is something that Jews have done for a long time. It's a something called Shiva. And you go to somebody's house And you don't expect to be entertained. You just simply go there in order to be with the mourner. And that too now, how does that make us happier? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, it deepens our relationship. When we're there for people in difficult times, they remember, they notice. Secondly, it reminds us that life is worth living. There are people when they lose to loved one who are in despair. Even if the person was old and it was expected, Death is this extraordinary mystery. So, in many ways, religion excels when it can help us deal with the deepest mysteries of life. And so, when we're there for people who who have lost somebody, we're really we're fulfilling part of our purpose as human beings. So, to me, that that is a very powerful one. Perhaps because I experience it so regularly doing funerals, but I I see how it works and how it makes us happier. And it's also an act of kindness for the person who is mourning.
0: And so many of these things And this might contradict what I said earlier about, you know, that if uh, uh, someone is kind to us, that makes us want to be kind. Or I think I said that in the context of God's kindness. Um, It's so easy to not do these things uh, that that the the default setting is, nah, I'll just I'll just focus on what's easy or I'll do what benefits me. But all these things draw us up and out of ourselves.
1: That's exactly it. It, it, None of these things are really, um, all of them are directed towards the outer community. In fact, that is a slight criticism of this book. Not of this book, really. Book's perfect, let me assure you. It's it's almost a, it is a critique of this approach to happiness, because there's very little in this prayer that's about self-care. It's all outer directed. And that, that's perhaps because these were rabbis from 2,000 years ago. The idea of the individual separate from the community did not exist. The individual is a notion uh, that's really 17th modern idea. There's nothing in here. Like I I like to journal. I like to write things down. And I think that makes me happier. But that isn't part of this happiness prayer. So this isn't something where I say you do these 10 things and that's all you have to do and you're going to be happy for the rest of your life. No, this isn't totally 100% complete. And so I do think that, Sometimes we do need to take care for ourselves. But these practices, but I almost think in today's society, it's so focused on the self that we need something to push us out of ourselves a little bit. And that's why this prayer is important in this day and age.
0: Yeah, there is a uh, pathological form of focusing on yourself, and there's a a very healthy way that can make us thrive and flourish. And I, I loved, for me, in the season that I encountered this book, it helped lift me Kind of up and take my eyes off myself
1: yes yes that it, it i think as human beings we need to be pushed out of ourselves sometimes and i think that it's so easy today in this world to, to, to fall into ourselves you know we, we have our phones Uh, We 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 don't even have to socialize very much if we don't want to we don't have to talk to people that are next to us Because we can just pick up our phone and read our email or you know read an article And so sometimes we need a little push to get outside of ourselves
0: So as a rabbi who cares for the people in your congregation and when there are people that are struggling with depression or mood disorders or, or bona fide mental illness how do you approach them? Because on the one hand, you hold these as core values, and you know you are not saying, "Hey, just just do these things and you'll never be depressed." Um, but how do you come alongside people in a proactive way when they're hurting, especially with the presence of pain or suffering?
1: Well, I'm always very clear that. I'm not a licensed therapist or psychologist, and so I refer people a lot to to psychologists and therapists that I know. Uh, especially if you know, I may if somebody needs, let's say, marriage counseling. Maybe I'll sit down with them for one session, but I know that unless it's you know something dealing with the death of a of a parent, where I can at least provide some kind of experience about mourning and so forth, usually I refer to somebody else. Uh, but I see my role more about helping people recover a sense of meaning. You know I, I'm not going to be able to solve depression or solve OCD or, or you know deal with with deeper issues in a marriage, but I can help people see that their lives are not that there's more to life than just themselves, that there's a deeper purpose that that, that we're here for a reason. And that to me is in some ways, I'm, I'm just a defender of that idea. And I can help remind people of that idea, and I'm there for them. So uh, I think it's dangerous sometimes if, if, as a pastor or rabbi, we try to do too much, uh, because there are, you know, there are so many different deeper issues uh, that, that that can be addressed, and, and there are issues that can be addressed with with medicine and drugs and things like that. I mean, not, not drugs as a nega, as an illegal drugs. I'm talking drugs, regular uh, drugs. And so I'm not qualified for that but I do believe that that I'm a defender of of the idea that life has purpose and meaning. And sometimes we need someone to remind us of that.
0: So let's close out with the idea of forgiveness, because this is an issue that is, I think so misunderstood in terms of what it is or is not. And I'm sure that apart from this prayer that you deal with that as well from a, uh, a rabbinic caregiving perspective. So um, talk about, forgiveness the importance of it and how it can lead to happiness because it can sometimes maybe for christians who forgiveness through uh jesus prayer of forgive us our sins as we forgive others that it's assumed that it's normal but i think it was c.s lewis who said every everyone thinks uh that forgiveness is a wonderful idea until they have something
1: to forgive (laughs) so what is it about this I think sometimes with forgiveness, we confuse it with condoning. We say, if I forgive that person, then I'm saying what they did was okay. I'm saying that they lied or they stole something from me or they hurt me. And if I forgive them, I'm saying I really don't care and that's okay. And that's not. Forgiveness isn't condoning. Forgiveness is moving on. It's not letting that person take up psychic space in our brain and our emotions. And so that's why I think – forgiveness is like a, it's a relief. It's getting rid of a burden we're carrying around in our head. We're kicking that person out of our mind by forgiving them in a sense. And so I think sometimes we are, we hesitate to forgive because we see it as a form of condoning. And so that's one of the first things I try to tell people is you're not, you're not saying what that person did was okay. You're simply saying you're not going to let it, um, shape your life. And forgiveness doesn't mean that that there isn't punishment. I mean, if, you know, I I tell the story in the book about that, that Malcolm Gladwell, uh, shared about um, a family he knew, uh, I'm forgetting the very strict uh, uh, Christian sect, um,
0: Mennonite, I think he's Mennonite. Mennonite. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they forgave somebody who murdered their daughter, which was, uh, you know, almost, it's very hard to even imagine that that didn't mean they didn't want that person to go to jail which he did you know they weren't saying because i forgive you you're free to go on you know and 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 live like a free person and you're you know you're a hero no that person went to jail that person paid for their for their crime but the parents said we're not going to let that person who committed this awful act we're not going to let that person loom in our lives as this presence anymore. And I found that I just found that enormously powerful. Uh, uh, So I I think that's what forgiveness requires in some way. It's a gift we give to ourselves. And it's not easy. It's very painful. But sometimes we need that's where a rabbi or therapist or pastor can be an outside voice to help us see that truth uh, to to see how if we forgive we will ultimately be happier.
0: It sounds too good to be true that yeah. if we if we just forgive or if we just welcome people into our lives or if we uh, just have lifelong learning. But there's something about the sum of all of these where when I'm looking at them on paper now and as I read the book, it's like, yeah, that just makes sense. Um, yeah. And so you, you said uh, that happiness is not the destination. It's the path. As we wrap up, comment about that
1: path. I think you just hit the nail on the head that it's these cumulative actions. And this all goes back to something that may sound superficial, but I, the, the superficial truth is people who are religious, who, who, who have a religious affiliation, belong to a church or synagogue, they are happier. Survey after survey, Gallup survey said people who are part of a religious community are happier than people who are not. Why is that? I believe it's because they try to do the things that are in this prayer. Not all religious people do. But that when the that religion calls upon us to get outside of ourselves. And these actions bring us outside of ourselves and they slowly cumulatively over time lead us to live a life well lived. That sounds kind of circular, but they 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 guide us in in what is truly a meaningful life what I as a person of faith would say God created us for but you don't have to be a person of faith to to do these things you can be a secular person and say I'm doing these things because they make us happier They make me happier but I believe that, we, that we're, we're created to give to comfort the bereaved to build community to express gratitude to forgive I think that's part of our nature and these teachings and maybe not part of our nature but if we do them we become the kind of person we can be that we are created to be and so there won't be a time when i say it's not the destination there's not a time when you say okay i've done this act a thousand times therefore i'm now happy that's not that that's not how it works but over time kind of like how a stone is smooth you know it is smoothened over time our our life will feel happier over time as we pursue these actions. So we have been talking about
0: your book, The Happiness Prayer, Ancient Jewish Wisdom for the Best Way to Live Today. This has been uh, just a great conversation. And after reading the book, it's an honor to talk with you. So Rabbi Evan Moffick, thank you.
1: Thank you. What a joy and honor to speak with you as well.
0: Hi, this is Michael, and thanks for listening to this episode. And if you're a regular listener, I want to thank you for supporting the podcast by downloading and listening and for spreading the word. Uh, At this point, in December of 2018, we are uh, fast approaching 150,000 downloads, and we are in over 30 countries around the world. And so if this podcast has been helpful to you, both on your personal journey uh, of healing and wholeness or spiritual formation, or if it's been helpful to you as a professional, whether you're a pastor, caregiver, writer, author, or just friend of the soul, I would like to invite you to consider how you might support our tiny little podcast here financially. Um, it's that time of year when our nonprofit and so many others are looking to uh create an opportunity for the year ahead. And so it's usually in late November and December that we do the bulk of our fundraising. And this podcast costs somewhere between $600 and 700 per month to produce and to actually get on a webpage where you can listen to it or download it through one of the podcast format. So would you take a moment and just reflect on perhaps your favorite episode or favorite moment on this podcast and how it's touched you? And is that something that you'd want to fund? No hard pressure sales here, not going to compare uh, listening to this podcast versus a venti latte or anything like National Public Radio does. But you can simply go to restoringthesoul.com click on the word donate in the upper right hand corner and you can make a gift of any amount five dollars is not too little ten dollars is not too little some can write a check for five or ten or twenty dollars or a hundred dollars and others could write a check uh, or do a credit card payment for much much more and so thanks in advance for any gift that you are able to make and thanks again for being a listener it is a joy to do this work and to to share these conversations with you and wishing you and all of your loved ones a great year ahead in 2019. You've been
1: listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick, produced by Brian Beatty and supported by generous listeners like you. To learn more about our life-changing intensive counseling process for couples and individuals, visit restoringthesoul.com.